Join me today in your Bible to the book of Genesis, if you would please. The book of Genesis, chapter number 4. Genesis, chapter number 4. I've been reading the book of Genesis uh, quite a bit lately, and I've still yet to see the cavemen. I, uh, I would think that uh, if somehow or another we started in the form of a tadpole and ended up teaching in our university, surely they'd have put that in the book. Amen. Yes, yes. I remember the pictures when I was just a kid of uh, half upright individuals who still does not have the strength in his vertebrae to stand him up straight long shaggy arms and a club across their shoulder uh, trying to invent the wheel. Uh, I'm really bamfoozled. I, I haven't found that. I found where in the beginning God created man. But I did not see where he created man in the image of a monkey. I'm still looking for that, even in science books. So I, I just thought it would be good if I preached a series of messages out of the book of Genesis. And we preached and taught about God creating something out of nothing. I believe that that literally happened, that God spoke the worlds into existence and that he upholds them with the power of his hand. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that God created man in his image and in his likeness, and they called him Adam. Seeing Adam uh, was lonely and happy, contempt, and had all the liberty in the world. But God fixed that. <laughs> and uh, from the side of man, close to his heart, not from his head to be ruled over, not from his foot to be trampled over, but from his heart, from his side, someone to be loved, someone to be protected. And God created Eve. Now there's only two people in the world Adam and Eve. Please do not mix that up with Adam and Steve. Because that dog just will not hunt. God created Adam and Eve for each other and for fellowship with him. And to replenish the earth. To men, 
cannot do that. Two men can only feed the lust of the flesh. No way to honor God in a confused, befuddled kind of relationship. I can't imagine some man kissing me. I can imagine it once. <laughs> Handle it, no. Because that is not according to God's plan. And God has created Adam and Eve. And the Bible says that Adam knew his wife Eve. And she conceived and bare a son whose name was Cain. And she conceived again and conceived another son whose name was Abel. Cain, the strong, the powerful. Abel, the shadow, temporary. And sure as the world, the names has been fulfilled because in the field, Adam, Cain, and Abel were talking. And jealous Cain killed his brother, Abel. As you know very well, God did not put Cain to death. The reason being there was no civil government at that time, and there was no laws at that time. No one to punish Cain. So God punished Cain by putting a mark on him and driving him from his presence and cursed the earth for his sake. Now Cain is destined to become a stranger and a vagabond and a fugitive for the rest of his life. I read for you chapter 4 and verse 16. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch. And he built a city, Cain did, and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. Shall we look for that uncivilized part of humanity, that one that is still with a club over his shoulder dragging his wife by the hair of the head, not yet developed speech, not yet able to communicate other than just grunts and moans. Let's see if we can find that crowd in the antediluvian society. Or would you allow me to speak to you today on this subject, the folk before the flood? And unto Enoch was born arid. And Arid begat 
Mehujael. Anybody want to pronounce these in public? It would take an absolute fool to preach a sermon out of genealogies. And unto Enoch was born Irid and unto Mehujael the uh, and Mehujael begot Methusiel, and Methusiel begot Lamech. That's pretty close for a Tennessee fellow. And Lamech took unto him two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the other Zillah. And Ada and Beer Jabal. And he was the father of such as dwelt in tents, and of such as have cattle. There's your first rancher. When you really study the verse, and really study the man, he had a corner on the cattle production and cattle industry. Didn't live in a cave didn't have a club. And his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all such as handled the harp and the organ. The man in charge of music. And Zillah, she also had Tubal Cain, an instructor of every artificiary in brass and iron, the beginning of metallurgy. Imagine how powerful a soldier with an iron sword would be in the face of a caveman with a club. And Lamech said unto his wives, verse 23, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech. Hearken unto my speech, for I have slain a man to my wounding and a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech, great seventy and sevenfold. There's one line of society. The Cain line, the ungodly line, the unbelieving line. Notice now verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son, and called his name Seth. For Seth, said she, Hath appointed, for God said she hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. Now notice very carefully. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Now be careful. And then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Verse 6, And Seth lived a hundred and five years and begot Enos. 
look down into Seth's line about verse 21, and Enoch lived sixty and five years and begot Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begot Methuselah three hundred years and begot sons and daughters. All the days of Enoch was three hundred sixty and five days, and Enoch walked with God and was not for God took him. Keep that verse in mind and look back to verse 16 of chapter 4. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. Two lines of humanity before the flood. One was running from God. The other was walking with God. Don't ever be fooled to think that it was easy to serve and walk with God before the flood. There's three facts of history we see in these verses in chapter 4 and 5. Number one... God preserves and records the divinely ordained line of the promised seed. God told Eve and God told the serpent that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. That is the first prophecy of Jesus Christ in the Bible. Genesis 3, 15. Do not be discouraged and do not be fooled, but God will protect the lineage and the family line through which Jesus is going to be born. And the Bible said, In the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem those that are under the law. One good thing about God. Now listen, he keeps his word. Another good thing about God, he does not ask us if it's all right. God will preserve and has recorded the preservation of the divinely chosen line through which Jesus Christ is going to be born. As you read your Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you'll find that God has a plan and that plan is working according to God's sovereign grace. I'm glad of that. I'm glad I'm not in charge. How about you? I'm in charge of a lot of things and all of them's a mess. But thank God he's in charge of me. Number two, we see the history, historical fact that God's command to be fruitful and multiply was carried out just like God said he would be. Genesis 1 and 28, he told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. Replenish the earth. And I'll tell you, I know some folks 
that's doing a double good job at that. Amen. Especially those folks where I was raised on the farm. Kids were not raised to be anything except helpers on the farm. And as soon as they could walk, daddy stuck a hole in their hand. They might not have known how to use it. They're just getting used to it because one of these days is going to have to. And the more kids you had, the bigger farm you could farm. I don't know what about today. And the third thing, now get this. God's curse on the land and on man was an effect. And people had to live under the curse. Nobody ever told you it's going to be easy. Now I know you kids think when you get married, all your problems are solved. You men, you boys will never have to worry about McDonald's again. She'll be in the kitchen with her apron on, just putting your favorite meal together every night and bring it to you as you sit there and watch TV. I know you think there's never going to be any problems at all. You're going to have kids to draw you and your wife or husband closer together. The gluing effect of a kid is always significant to the home. The more kids, the more glue. Isn't that the way it works? Could have talked to you for just a while about the folk before the flood. 1,500 years will have passed from the day that Eve ate the fruit, the fall. 1,500 years has transpired between the fall and the flood. Five and a half chapters in your Bible. It would seem like that much time would be afforded many more verses and much more reading. But in God's wisdom, he decided that five and a half chapters was enough to cover the society he describes in chapter 6. And he describes it in chapter 6. And in verse number 5, the Bible says, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continual. And he repented God. It repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth. And it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repented me that I have made them. 
the folk before the flood. When you think about it, if you look in Genesis 4 and verses 16 through 24, we see the lintage and the line of Cain. Eventually, that lintage and line must have overwhelmed and sucked in to where the other line, Seth, the one that called upon God, the one who produced Enoch, who walked with God and was not and was taken. And when we come out of chapter 5 into chapter number 6, we read nothing of the spiritual line, the godly line, the Seth line. But it looks as though the worldly line had more influence on the godly line than the godly line had on the worldly line. Something has transpired in chapter number 6. You don't even read of Seth's godly line, or you don't read about those who had walked with God. Evidently, society had fallen into such a cavern, into such a wicked hole, that God said, I can't find but one. And his name was Noah. Because it repented God. I say to you, it would not easy to walk with God in a society whose thought of their heart is continually evil. I'll say to you today that that man who walked with God in that society must have had it as difficult as some of us have it today living for God around people who don't love your I was under the impression, though, when Jesus was on the earth, that Jesus either meant it or he made a mistake when he said to his disciples that godly people ought to have an influence wherever they live on God, ungodly people. It is much more dangerous for a Christian to walk with the unsaved as it is for the unsaved to walk with the Christian. Although we have the power of God and the Holy Spirit in our heart, the Word of God to read as a, as a rule book and God the Father to give us power, it seems like the world is winning in influence, in preference, in conviction. Why? Do you know there's some folks who sing I love Jesus this morning and then love the Rangers this evening at six? Such a frugal, empty kind of love. Must have been prevalent in the folk before the flood. Jesus said this, and I, uh, 
How many of you believe the Bible? Would somebody just say amen? It's hard to get an amen out of a bunch of folk who don't say amen. Jesus said, ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing. What is your Christianity and your testimony good for? You say, preacher, it's tough. Man, I tell you, it's tough trying to live for God in the world in which we live. It was tough on Enoch. It was tough to walk with God in an antediluvian world that hated God and was continually evil in their thoughts. We have no excuse to be like the world. The Bible says, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a, a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that is in the room. When you walk into a group of individuals, does it light up? Do they know where you stand and to whom your allegiance belongs? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Somehow Jesus must have thought that Christians or the godly line should influence the ungodly more than the opposite. But somehow or another, in the day in which we live, I do not see that happening. I see a vacant pew that used to be filled with folks who claimed allegiance to the king. I see a visitation program that is, that is faltering because we have little league on Saturday. And we've got to teach our kids how to hit a ball, not win people to Christ. Well, I'm trying, I'm trying in my old age to be tender, soft, and understanding. It ain't working. It reminds me of several years ago when I was in evangelism. I have several praying that I would go back. Now, I forget if it was in the 50s or the 60s or the 70s or the 80s or the 90s or the 2s. I forget when it was. But it was back when we was having an energy shortage and everybody was trying to control the temperature in their homes. In the wintertime, it had to be 67. And in the summertime, it had to be 97. And they control that with a little bitty gadget they call a thermostat. I remember being in the Ohio in revival meetings and snow on the ground 
And Ohio is colder than anywhere in the world when snow's on the ground. You said you haven't been to Alaska. Shut up. It don't fit into my story. I had fasted on this honestly, intentionally, and and spiritually I fasted on a regular basis. And I got my immune system so out of whack. Somebody said, well, if you're fasting for Jesus' sake, he'd take care of it. That is another Greek word you need to learn. Shut up. And I caught everything that come down the path. Continually sick in motel rooms with the thermostat locked up. Set at 67. I remember those days. If I could have just gotten to the thermostat, I could have controlled the temperature, the atmosphere, the environment in which I live. But I could not get to the thermostat. I had to be content with the temperature. I had nothing to do with the temperature. I was at the mercy of the temperature. When the temperature went up and got warm, I went up and got warm. And when the temperature went down and the wind blowed, my temperature went down and I was controlled by the atmosphere and by the environment around me. God did not intend that to be that way. God intended for me to be a thermostat controlling the atmosphere, the surroundings, the environment around me. God had a divine line to control society, to conform and transform society to God. But there was also a worldly line, Cain's line, and that line became the thermostat instead of the thermometer. And the ungodly line has now ruled and set the temperature to walk after man, the devil, and the world. And Seth's line has become the temperature and not the thermometer. Do you ever feel like 
you're the thermometer up and down in and out controlled by everybody and everything around you instead of you setting the tempo do you ever feel like the winds of this old world starts blowing at you you ever feel like the windows are up and the wind is just taking you wherever the winds want to take you did you ever feel like you're just a flat stinking failure for God do you ever have good intentions and want to be that thermostat and wants to be that witness and wants to be strong, but one day all of a sudden, bang, you fail. I hope at least there's one here to join me in feeling like that when the storms of this old life begins to blow and all of the kids begin to groan and moan and, and, and the anxiety of this old world begins to chill our bones instead of being a thermostat. We're just up and down with the world. Is there anybody here would join me and say, I know what you mean. Have you ever felt that way? Paul felt that way in the book of Philippians in chapter number 2. I don't have time. But Philippians 2 and verse 12, Paul felt that way about the Philippians. And he said this, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Listen, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Does that mean you can work for your salvation? No, you can't work out anything you hadn't already got. Paul says to you and I that it is up to us to make sure that now that we're saved, we're light and salt. And we are to do everything in our possible being to work it out so that we're salty and light for those who are in darkness. Amen. Amen. He did not say you would not fail and falter. He said, work at it, men. I mean, salvation is free, but your testimony has to take work and effort and, and fortitude. We need to work it out. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't say, I'm a loser. No, sir. We're all more than conquerors to him who loved us. Notice the Bible says in verse 13, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Thank God I ain't in this thing by myself. I am going to work, I'm going to put all the effort I can in to be in the right kind of Christian, but I know it's God in me working and doing His good pleasure. So, preacher, 
What are you going to do? How can you handle that? Listen. Do all things without murmuring and disputes. When things are bad, shut up and let God do something. Well, I got to tell everybody else they need to pray for me. No, just shut up and trust God. Well, what am I going to do when I'm broke? What can you do when you're broke? Nothing. Everything costs something. You can't go anywhere because you're broke. You can't buy anything because you're broke. Just shut up and let God fix it. Church, be careful of folk walking around poor-mouthing. This is broke. This won't work. I ain't got any money. What's wrong with trusting God? Maybe you're broke because you're still in God's tithe. You ever think of that? And you don't determine where the tithe goes. You don't go buy 15 thumbtacks and turn in a receipt to the office and say, this is my tithe. I don't need any thumbtacks. Thumbtacks don't put any gas in buses. Thumbtacks don't put any gas in my car. Keep your thumbtacks tied. That in the notes, that was free. Because you know why folks are broke? They spent all their money. They've exhausted all their credit. They can't borrow anymore. You're cursed with a curse. The world, the ungodly line, has influenced you. Because those that walk with God do what God says. But God knows, God knows my heart. That's your problem. He knows your heart. That's my problem. He knows my heart. That's all of our problem. He knows our heart, right? I said, amen, right? Amen, all right. Guess what was invented before wheels? Feet. Amen. This is great preaching. Great preaching. Now, folk don't like it, but it's great preaching. Do all things without murmuring and disputes. I feel most of the time that I'm a flat failure to God. Uh, my light does not shine most of the time. It don't even sparkle. Uh, my salt is not salty enough because now that I'm getting old, I'm getting real, real mild. Not salty anymore. I don't know what's between salt and pepper unless it's the meat. But I feel most of the time that I've flat fail God in this light and in this salt business. And so Paul writes, do everything without murmuring disputes that you may be blameless and harmless.
the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Wow. You know, I may be the only light some sinner may see. I may be the only salt that some Christians may need. God put us here for that purpose. We're to be thermostats and not thermometers. We're to control our homes and the atmosphere. God warns us in Jude 11, Woe unto them, for have they gone the way of Cain, and run greedily after error and perished in gain's sake. How many Christians got their eyes on the almighty dollar or success and ran greedily after it, moved out of town for a 50 cent an hour raise, never considering the church and never considering what God wants done because God knows it must be of God if I get a raise only to find themselves shipwrecked financially and spiritually, ran greedily. Chapter 4 and verse 16 talks about the Cain line, the ungodly line, the boasted of self-accomplishments. Notice, if you would please, uh, Cain was told of God, you'll be a beggar, You'll be a stranger and a vagabond. And you know what Cain told God? No, I won't. I'm going to build me a city. Disobeyed God. Went and built him a city. A city to replace paradise that they had lost. Cain's line is the first immoral line. He got him two wives. It's not God's will to have two wives. If he had, he had created two Eves and two mother-in-laws. And so out of Cain's line, the worldly line, the selfish line, the, the zealous line, now we have a man with two wives. Notice, if you would please, the production of those two wives, all the kids are now selfish and motivated by lust of the flesh and the pride of life. They begin to build and they begin to play music and they begin to make weapons out of the metal. The other line began to call upon God. I wonder which line we'd fit in today. I've got three things. I'm going to give you in two minutes. You say, preacher, you're long-winded. No, you're short-seated. <laughs> Do you know it's possible to live for God? and walk with God in a society that it repented God that he had created. So vile, and so rotten, and so sinful that God looked at them and said, I am repentant that I ever created them. 
They're vile, they're wicked, they're ungodly, so desperately wicked, I'm going to destroy them all. And yet, a man walked with God. Walked in the same pace, walked in the same direction, walked side by side. Preacher, I can't serve God because it's too wicked where I live. Move. Because it's more important we walk with God than we save money on the rent. Number one, I'd like to leave this with you. Godly Christians will walk with God in an ungodly society. I just believe that to be a fact. I know you know these facts. But Enoch is seven generations from Adam. Lamech is seven generations from Cain. Enoch walked with God. Lamech Married two women. Enoch walked with God and pleased God and worshipped God and called upon God while the other crowd was doing what they wanted instead of what God wanted. We have no excuse. We can walk with God and we can be a witness for God even though everybody around us don't. Second thing I'd like to leave with you is godly people call on the name of the Lord in ungodly times. Where are you seeking the source of your strength? Where are you seeking harmony between you and your mate? Well, I'm watching television, and television has happy couples. Really? I really believe with all my heart what we need in this generation is not another election. What we need in this generation is mom and dads, men and women, who will learn how to worship God, who's not ashamed of the God they worship. You know why we don't have as big a crowd as the ball games? It's not any fun. No participation. I'm going to start walking around with a microphone in my hand and say, where are you from? Oh, did you bring a bus load today? Did you ride our bus up? How many times have I ask you folks say amen today? Have you ever noticed that the rangers don't have to put up a great big sign? It's time to say amen. Lord, no, you go crazy over a guy hitting a ball with a sack around it. You know, them guys, they're such good ball players. I wish they could play with the balls we used to have to play with. I'd like to see some of the infielders 
catch the grounders that we used to have to catch. And most of our bases were wet. You'll get that after a while. And a lot of us, when we slid into base, we took the base home with us. Have you ever noticed, if the ball gets dirty, the pitcher wants a new ball. I wish I could play with the balls we used to play with. The ball diamond where I lived was beside the road, and the first baseman was close to the road. Across the road was a honeysuckle patch. When the first baseman missed the ball, it went across the road into the honeysuckle patch where we waited dinner time. When a ball came across the road, we grabbed the ball, started running, and began to cut the laces on the cover and take the cover off because they didn't want to play with balls with no covers. Then we went and got some of that white medical tape. We wrapped that ball with that white medical tape. And then we learned how to pitch that ball. I'd like to see them throw a four-seam fastball with no seam. <laughs> Sometimes the ball was a little heavier on one side than the other. Man, you can make that thing drop. <laughs> How did I get in this? Where am I in my sermon? I have no idea. Maybe it's time to close. All I can say is, folks, if you love God, you won't be saying amen when it's time to close. I believe this guy's like that before the flood. And I think they were out of the Cain line, not the Seth line. But godly. not ashamed to call upon the Lord in ungodly times. Because Seth produced Enos, the first preacher, and they began to call upon the name of the Lord. I'm done. Is that rain? Ain't God good. Nobody wants to go home in the rain. Number three. Godly people are used to be sinful people. You got that? Godly people are used to be ungodly people. Let me show you something that's very, very unusual. Chapter number five of the book of Genesis. I want to show you something, and I know you know this, but I, I just, I'm just kind of slow. And I just picked it up this week. Chapter 5 and verse 1. Godly people are used to be ungodly people. Now watch this. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, 
in the likeness of God made he him. Now you got that? Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their names Adam in the day they were created. And Adam lived a hundred and thirty years and begot a son in his own likeness. After his image, and he called his name Seth. You notice Seth wasn't born in the image of God. He's outside the garden. Man has disobeyed God. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world, so death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And every since Seth, kids are born in the image of fallen sinful humanity no longer in the image of God. But Jesus fixed that. He said, if thou wilt confess with thy mouth, people begin to call upon thy Lord and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be what? Godly people are used to be ungodly people. Are you glad of that? For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth men begin to call upon the Lord. With the mouth confession is made. For whosoever shall call with the mouth they begin to call upon the Lord. You know all you need to do today to get your situation fixed is just call upon the name you say, preacher, I'm in the godly line, but are you living it? And is that other line kind of influencing you back toward the world? You see, the problem is a lot of folk begin to worship, I mean, begin to witness before they worship. Here's what you've got to do. You've got to be before you do. Witness never produces worship. Worship always produces witness. Worship produces a walk that produces a witness. And all of God's people say, the folk before the flood, a godly lion and ungodly lion. What a shame. Matthew Henry said, Now men begin to worship God, not in their closet, in their families, but publicly and openly. And he says, The worse the others are, the better God's people should be. Are you a light? Are you a witness?